Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. Today is the 248th episode of the CodeCast podcast. We've had 363,000 plus downloads. And thank you again to each and every one of you for making us a success that we are. I had some good news this week. I've been nominated in two categories for the podcast, third nomination, or I should say third year, um, for this podcast in business uh, with the People's Choice Awards. So for podcasting, I so appreciate that. And then also for the NSCHBC podcast that I host, Um, I was given a nomination for the best female podcast host. So pretty excited about those two things. And again, thank you for whoever did that, because the initial nomination, you have to actually pay for. I'm like, pay for? Somebody's like, hey, I put you in. I'm like, wow, thank you. And then you get uh, basically votes off of that. So I was really kind of floored by that when I got the email alert. So again, thank you for whomever did that. I really appreciate it. Also, a couple of announcements as we figure out what our topic is today. Uh, And actually, it's going to be something a little different. Hopefully, you'll appreciate it because I get this question a lot. But first of all, the public health emergency. So the PHE was extended at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Friday the 15th. And so now it's extended through for right now, anyway, through October. Now, uh, and I'm not being political for those of you that it's explode whenever I start talking about my conservative um, points of view, which I haven't in a long time. But just letting you know, I have a feeling this may be extended again, because that's right before midterms. And I know you don't want to hear that the PHE is political. Well, it is. So um, it's a it's a big voting situation. Otherwise, Congress wouldn't have put together the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022 to extend the public health emergency, or I should say telehealth, uh, through another 151 days once the PHE ends. So it, it's very intertwined. It's It's got politics, it's got COVID, it's got PHE, it's got everything. So anyway, all you need to know right now is that we're still under the same flexibilities under the PHE that we had since March 2020. And this is our 10th extension of the public health emergency. So I was actually a little surprised because the nursing home, long-term care uh, facilities, and a lot of state waivers for crossing state lines and seeing patients uh, have expired. And so the fact that uh, the government has chosen to extend it was kind of surprising. But we'll see what happens with that. But for right now, I just want you to have the information. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, I thought I'd approach a topic, which I think is kind of a fun topic to talk about. And I don't know if you've actually given it much thought, but I like to talk about medical billing versus coding because they're not the same thing. And I get questions all the time from people that want to break into coding, billing, or just the, the medical profession. And they say, Terry, you know, I'm trying to figure out a career path what should I do? Should I be a medical coder or should I be a medical biller? And first of all, we have to have a conversation about that because medical billing and coding definitely covers a lot of ground, starting with patient registration, securing claim reimbursement, and ending with delivery of payment to the provider. And there's a lot of kind of interlinking or intertwined um, job descriptions that come with both biller and coder. So getting from start to finish requires that collaboration of billers and coders, insurance companies, patients, and other, you know, healthcare staff, obviously the physician who's providing the service, uh, to make things happen. 
And a lot of billers and coders work in tandem to facilitate the what they call the healthcare revenue cycle or revenue cycle management, so from start to finish. And people sometimes refer to medical billing and coding as a single discipline, if you will. But when considering medical billing or coding as a career path, it's important to understand that these are two different jobs requiring different skill and personality traits and develop enough experience and you can become a billing and coding specialist, but many students usually pursue either billing or coding. Now, what am I? Well, I'm a healthcare consultant, but I'm a coder at heart, and I actually feel like I'm a coder and a biller because I I want to know not only what I'm coding, but I want to make sure that the re- the reimbursement aspect of it is also appropriate. But here are the biggest reasons, or I should say, the things to consider when you're looking at medical billing and coding as two separate jobs, because these are the questions I get. So first of all, the work isn't the same. Personality does matter interaction with patients, larger health care facilities always split, or I should say usually split duties, um, alliance versus autonomy, and I'll explain what that means in a minute, education versus certification requirements and, and experience, and then salary and job outlook. So let's talk about this. First of all, the work. When I talk about the work isn't the same, there are different responsibilities demanding distinct skill sets and abilities. So kind of give you a a short definition of each discipline and see if you can kind of figure this out with me. So medical coders first must interpret the care provided for patients into codes that a computer system can understand. So we've got primary codes, which are procedural, CPT, current procedural terminology. And then we've also got diagnosis codes, and we're currently in the International Classification of Diseases 10th Revision, so ICD-10 codes. And assigning the correct diagnosis and procedure code does require knowledge of medical terminology, adherence to CPT coding guidelines, ICD-10, CM guidelines if you're professional, PCS if you're coding in the hospital. And so you have to know these systems as well. So there are certain things you have to know as a coder to be able to be functional in your job. Medical billers, on the other hand, are a little bit different. And this is not to minimize their role at all. We, we can't get along without a medical biller. They use the instructions provided by coders to file claims and post payments to accounts typically. Sometimes you do have other people posting uh, payments, but for the most part, you're seeing that coming from somebody who is classified as a biller. But your claims to be paid medical information has to be accurate. And that's really kind of a biller's job function. Code have to be accurate. So to, so does the linking to the ICD-10, but other medical information that's on the claim also comes from the medical biller. Billers also work with insurance companies to work out denials, rejections, finalize the details, and also send out patient statements for what they're responsible for. This is where personality matters. Okay. So as you're thinking about this, Jobs in billing or coding definitely require unique personality types. So if you self-identify as more extroverted or introverted, you may be better off leaning one way or the other. And I think the pandemic has also kind of conditioned us, not in a good way, of kind of defining us if we're extroverted or introverted as well. I know that I used to be quite the social butterfly, if I do say so. And now I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm not liking everybody as much as I used to. So... Here's, here's the thing, if you are in, or extroverted, you may prefer a job in medical billing because you have to be comfortable talking on the phone with patients, insurance companies, 
You have to be able to clearly communicate with different people, including possibly your physician, and smoothly, smoothly resolve issues when needed. So you have to be a people person. There's no way around it. If you are introverted, you may be more comfortable in medical coding. Coders more often do their day-to-day work in their own occasional collaborative you know, session with other healthcare staff. It's much more analytical, detail-oriented, um, and you're really not talking to people all day. So unless you're a student and you're still on the job learning. It's not a strict rule. I, I'm, you know, I've seen plenty of students who are trying to figure this out or CPCAs who are trying to figure this out who tend to be introverted and can really excel in medical billing. It just, and vice versa, it just depends where you are as far as that type of personality trait. Then we get into working with patients. And this is really a big one. And now this isn't, you know, put in stone, but billers work with patients, coders usually don't. So working with patients in a clinical setting isn't for everyone. Luckily, there are many jobs in healthcare, including medical coding, where you can really help patients without having to work with them directly day to day. So medical coders typically work behind the scenes in collaboration with physician, billers, and other staff, but medical billers must communicate with patients. Things don't always go smoothly, and it's a biller's job to act professionally and empathize with patients who aren't always thrilled to discuss costs that they never expected to cover or that they're concerned about. Effective billers can help patients understand their charges and are really, you know, an integral part of the overall healthcare experience. I'm finding that billers actually can make a patient survey go one way or another for a physician. That is really big. Now, special specialization, because again, I said, well, I'm a coder and a biller. So large healthcare facilities are more likely to split duties. If you're in a small one physician or two or, you know, three under five physician practice, you're probably coder biller. But with greater demand for billing and coding services within larger organizations, hospitals even, they often employ specialized coders and billers to carry out their individual responsibilities. So when seeking your first entry level, entry level, I'm tongue tied today. When seeking your first entry level job in medical billing or medical coding, start your search in hospitals and other large healthcare facilities. You'd be surprised, especially if you're looking for remote work, because they tend to uh, hire more volume than smaller entities. In smaller businesses, such as private practices and physician offices, it's more likely to find individuals who routinely perform both, like I said, medical billing and coding to help streamline the process and limit their operating expenses. So you may look for this type of role as you further your education, you continue to get certified, or you continue developing professional experience in both coding and billing. Now, your role, and when I mentioned alliance versus autonomy, consider medical coding as an alliance role and medical billing as an autonomous role. So what that means is medical coders typically work directly for healthcare organizations in alliance with physicians, administrators, and other healthcare workers. Medical billers may potentially work more autonomously, facilitating communication between several parties necessary to smooth the billing process. So you may have your own style on billing, how you collect, how you communicate, how you, you know, get hopefully get the patient eating out of the palm of your hands and the payer. Um, billing may be the, the best starting point 
for, let's say, if you're an entrepreneurial minded individual interested in really looking to climb the ladder in the healthcare administration field, billing can really give you such a wide range of understanding the whole process as coding kind of, you know, alliance or, or allies you with really kind of more of a pigeonholed approach. And you're really focused on more of the coding process. Now, education, and this is always a big one. They can be similar to um, as far as credentialing, and a lot of employers may prefer applicants with diplomas or associate degrees, either billing, coding, or both, but typically there's certifications or credentials depending on what body of work you're, you're dealing with, and it also depends on if you're a billing or coding um, industry. So certified billing and coding specialists, there's all kinds of different that they um, organizations that have those. To have both, the National Healthcare Association, I know they have both. Um, obviously, AAPC, AHEMA, QPRO, there's all kinds of different um, different bodies of certification out there that do that. I know that with AHEMA, they've also got the Certified Coding Associate, this is CCA as well. Um, they've got the specific two physicians, uh, CCSP, and obviously everybody knows what um, the AAPC has. But a lot of billers will say, do I have to have a certification? And it's, it's interesting because a lot of employers do not require it for billing, but they do require it for coding. So let's say that you are trying to get into coding, but you're still taking your exam or trying to figure that out. You may want to get your feet wet in billing and then continue to study, take your exam, do what you need to do to get your, your coding credential and then try to move up or, or move laterally, depending. You know, and I don't like to say that I'm discounting billing because I know that a lot of people think that there's definitely a a discounted thing there, but billers do tend to make less. So let's take a look at that. So salary and job outlook can really vary. So even though these are closely related jobs and have similar education requirements, they are fundamentally separate roles and they definitely earn different salaries average around the United States. So I was looking this up and the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that billing, and they also call them posting clerks, so including medical billers, earn an average salary of around $19 an hour or just under 40,000. And they're expecting that to increase in about 3% in employment from 2022 to 2030. Now coders, okay, they are uh, somewhere around an average of 43,000 to start a year. And here's something that I thought was very interesting. Um, This report also include medical record, they call them technicians, so understanding HIPAA, et cetera, um, and included medical coders, and they included that salary at 44, or $21 to $22 an hour. So they expect this to increase about 9% uh, through 2030. So the more, obviously, that you further your education, develop your skills, and gain experience in the field, obviously, the the better chance that you're going to have of higher Uh, pay earnings and qualify for better jobs in medical billing or coding. Now, can you do both? Absolutely. And you can wear both hats. Those who walk the line between extrovert and introvert get the right education and can develop valuable experiences and become truly a coding and billing specialist or what now is referred to as a a SME or subject matter uh, expert. And that's something that you want to take a look at. However, you need to be reasonable in your expectations upon graduating, either with a diploma, a credentialing, a degree. Finding an entry-level work from home 
straight out of school can be very difficult in billing or coding. Same with any other career. So you, you might have to earn it. And I saw something recently on LinkedIn where somebody who was a CPCA was very frustrated because she said, she, you know, they want experience. Well, if you just look at coding jobs to start, you're, you're probably not going to get hired. But look at billing, look at medical records, look at, you know, their social media platform. Do they even have a social media person? Um, ask them if they need a telehealth facilitator. Um, start at the front desk. Now, front desk is tough. Don't let anybody fool you. Front desk is very hard because it is absolutely constantly with patients. And you're going to get different personalities, different um, things that patients need. And you have to be on it every day and pretty much be a happy person all the time. So know your personality as well. But make sure that at least you start somewhere. And really where I would start is by attending a meeting with maybe a local chapter of either AAPC or AHIMA. Um, take a look at what's offered either on the, they call them the uh, ISP or independent study programs. Um, you know, try to, if you have any experience, whether it be in customer service, whether it be in finance, um, whether it, it just in teaching anything, wherever your experience is, channel that into your resume so that you can uh, reflect that to somebody that can understand that could definitely be a coding or billing position. For those of you that always, <laughs> I get a lot of people always say to me, how can I be you or how can I be a consultant? Well, I am now close to 35 years in the industry. It takes a long time to build up to that role, in my opinion. And if you don't have at least 10 years in it, there nobody's going to take you seriously. You know, I was talking to my daughter about this recently, too, because she is now in charge of the middle school where she's teaching, and she's just starting as a third-year teacher. And last year, as a second-year teacher, she was a sixth-grade teacher in charge of all the sixth grade and they want her in administration already. I'm like, can you hold on a minute? You're an excellent teacher. Can you need to stay in the classroom for a little bit so that when you get into administration, when you're tired of you know being in front of kids and you're not right now, that people will take you seriously. I would not want to be a 45-year-old teacher listening to a 27-year-old you know, teacher with a couple years experience telling me how to do curriculum. That would be a problem, even though she's got a master's degree in everything. So know, know your lane, know your expertise. And the last thing I would say on this, because I think this is really an important part of this, if you want to be specialized, definitely, you know, get specialized. That That's a great thing to do. But try to find as much as you can that you can absorb, that you can gather. There's so many podcasts now. I know I kind of started off rolling with the, the, um, the CodeCast podcast in 2017, but now they're everywhere. So, you know, you can look up Christine Hall, uh, Sonal Patel, Jennifer McNamara. There's so many uh, coding and billing and podcasts that really are in uh, this space. The compliance guy, Sean Weiss, I'm on his podcast, and those are free. So if you need free things, you know, those are things that uh, you can really kind of embrace and figure out what path you want to take. But just try everything you can keep working really hard and try not to always think you're going to start at the top, start in a coding position. You want to be a healthcare professional and then build your way into that dream job that you really have. And once you figure that out and do that, you'll be golden. Now I was going to wait on this next coding question just because I, I know I'm kind of long on time today. Um, but I, I really wanted to address it because it's becoming a problem in some of the workflows that I'm seeing. And that is a lot of practices under their data points on EM services 
are ordering a test, they're not billing for the test, and then when the test comes back in, they're taking that test and then trying to upcode to a level four E&M service by saying that they're doing an independent interpretation of the test. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a professional opinion on this and you're probably not gonna like it. But that to me is double dipping and just asking for trouble. You know, my feeling all along has been that independent means that you as the provider are not staked in it in any way. So if you're the one who orders a test, how can you be independent with respect to the result? Also, aren't you already getting a credit under the, um, the category one of ordering, which includes reading or giving a result to a patient? So it feels very easy, you know, subject to manipulation of a workflow, let's say in a large practice where the rendering orders a test and by the workflow of the practice, all of those orders, let's say go to radiology, they interpret and bill, and then it goes back to, let's say pediatrics or a specialist or the report. And then now that provider rereads the film and bills for it. Why is it happening that way? The other thing that is really a problem is that in this scenario, And if I'm the patient, I'm paying for, in effect, two interpretations, one by the imaging center and one more that seems to be kind of baked into the higher E&M service and you're upcoding. So I'm just going to give you a conservative approach to this. If you are ordering a test and then you are also um, going over that test with the patient, that is part of the category one result that you cannot double dip. You can't even bring them back in to give them a result. You can't call them for a telehealth visit for a result. That is not an independent interpretation of tests. If a patient is bringing you a test or if they're, it's, you know, this is not a vacuum and it'll drive up a lot of fours if you, if you do this. But if your rendering provider is a specialist who could confer expertise to the precise nature of a film that may not be captured by the person who performed the test, so the radiologist, then that is absolutely an independent interpretation. So try to be cautious and make sure that you're not the rereading doctor of something that you ordered, because then the argument for being an independent interpretation to me does not exist. And as an auditor, I would have a field day with that. So even though that wasn't really a coding question, it was related to the coding of the E&M services. And I just want to make sure that you're being more conservative in your approach instead of suspect because I'm getting this question all the time now and we we just don't want to um, submit or count our services when basically it's duplicative and I just don't want you to get in trouble for that. Okay a personal tidbit this week and I'll just make it quick. If you are looking for a new streaming show to watch and I'm kind of obsessed with home shows I can't help it Try Flipping 101 with Tarek El Musso. He was the one that was with his wife on Flipper Flop, which was just the stupidest show ever. But kind of like a train wreck, you know, we watch it. But this is even worse. Now, not like, you know, stupid shows on like Dumb and Dumber. I hate those kind of things. This is just one of those shows where you can't believe people who want to go into flipping houses don't do their due diligence before they do it. And they're spending a ton of money wasting it. And in this market right now, anyway, flipping 101, you got to look at it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on, I think, uh, what my brother said, Discovery Plus. Um, and it's also if you have DirecTV, but you got to find it. It is seriously from episode one. And right now I'm on episode nine. It is ridiculous. It's It's quite like you've got to be kidding me. 
Okay, everyone. So make it a great day, a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>